audible, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even? Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week, like you trying to guard Kemba. Your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year, band of 12 plus six here. Carson that was top rookie, I'm seeing it now. Ain't playing around with Tatum and Hay with a Brown. We off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up today. You heard? AJ, <laughs> hey, I, I see you, man. She. Welcome to Anything is Potable! The Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, joined as always by the kid, the god, uh, Jay King himself, the Celtics beat reporter from the Athletic. And we are joined today by special guest Michael Pina from JQ, also hosts the Open Floor Pod, also does other things on the internet related to basketball. Um, but Michael, thank you for joining us. And I think the first question will go to you because all the, our listeners have heard our hot takes on the, uh, Celtics and heat series so far. We actually got to hear Jay sing a little bit of newsies yesterday. That's how much of content we ran out of. So, um, I guess we'll go to you first to just, um, what, where, what's your impression of this series so far? And, uh, yeah, I guess that'll leave it open-ended. You, you, the floor is yours, Michael. Yeah, I mean, me and Jay. I would call it an open floor. Ooh. Hey, there you go. Very quick on your feet, Jay. Me and Jay were uh, we were texting before the series started about just the matchup problems that Miami would have in this series. And frankly, like, this series could easily be 3-0 Celtics, in my opinion. Um, very two close games in the first two. And then, like – it took Brad Stevens a while to attack Duncan Robinson in the way that I think uh, like me and Jay were talking about before the series even began. And we saw how effective Jalen was in that matchup on both ends, really uh, in game three. So it'll be really fascinating just to see how Eric Spolstra kind of, now that the Celtics, I feel like with Gordon Hayward playing um, back in the lineup, playing 30 minutes in game three, It'll be really interesting to see just what adjustments Spolstra makes right now because, in my opinion, like, the Celtics have – they I, you can't say they've dominated a series that they're down 2-1, but, you know, they've built up consistent leads that they've blown. Game three, it was basically a wire-to-wire -wire, – not a route, but they controlled everything in that game. Um, so it's on the, the heat, honestly, to make the adjustments. And I don't know how many buttons they have to push now that their zone is kind of not exposed, but it's not this uh, impenetrable force as it was in the first two games. Uh, the one thing that would be really concerning to me if I were the Celtics, the late game stuff. I, I, I do wonder if fatigue has been a real issue for them. The Heat have a 129 fourth quarter offensive rating, which is almost impossible. Like, that is just outrageous. And 
even in like game three, they dominated the fourth quarter and what was kind of a blowout before that. And that they that even hurt their offensive rating. The first two games, they were over 130 offensive rating in the fourth quarter. So I I want I do wonder if like Spolster limiting the minutes and sitting back in a zone and doing a, a lot of that stuff and then having heat culture, which Packard hates, but they're they're in great shape. I, I do wonder if if that has made a difference late and and if that's something that will continue in this series. How much of that is heat culture and just them being in super shape? You know, no, no other team's ever thought of having their guys be in shape or try hard, but um, – like the Celtics uh, clutch offense <laughs> struggled in the Raptors series. Like we really, there was po- like portions of, I think game six uh, in the Raptors series where the Celtics just did not score. It really seems when, and that might be, I guess, fatigue on the Celtics part, but they go into this kind of prevent offense where they don't uh, just move the ball as well. It feels like Miami's offense has benefited from, I guess, sloppy turnovers or just, uh, the Celtics not being able to set up their offense. It doesn't, it's not just because they have like immaculate body fat. Like that doesn't just turn on, like make the Celtics so much worse in the half court offense in the fourth quarter. Uh, it just feels like they really struggle when the game slows down. And the Celtics have, I think in game three and at, at parts of game two, really like push the pace. And that's when they've been better to get in their offense. I just don't know how they do that consistently in the fourth quarter if fatigue is a factor, but you would hope maybe the three days off uh, kind of would improve that. Maybe it gets Gordon Hayward more of a, a boost, but I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you improve conditioning at this point going up against the vaunted heat culture? Uh, you're not going to run suicides in practice. <laughs> yeah. No, this reminds me of when I was trying out for basketball in high school and the How'd first that go? day, let me finish my story. All right. First day, uh, was basically just there was no basketball involved it was strictly just like wind sprints and i was even like freshman in high school this was just a freshman team i was you know like 130 pounds maybe and uh had not yet put on the the weight that i eventually would uh and maturing into an adult so i was in like pretty good shape i thought and just completely died, was like vomiting afterwards. And then I get home from the tryout and I'm like, all right, I need to get in shape. So I'm going to be in my backyard running sprints. And my dad was like, like, this is literally the dumbest thing you could possibly do. If you're not in shape now, it's all over for you. And so, yeah, there's no getting in shape once you're, I mean, Montrez Harrell had this issue in the Clippers uh, Nugget series. It's like, if you're not in shape, Right now, that's it. I'm sorry. Um, you fucked. I I don't know if uh, you know. What's really fascinating to me is how coronavirus is impacted a lot of these guys, and like you talked about the the minutes being reduced. And Bam Adebayo is someone who tested positive. Uh, Kendrick Nunn tested positive. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. tested positive, and all their minutes have been down for a variety of reasons. I would imagine, but. I don't really like I think when you talk about like uh, Boston's clutch offense, kind of them running out of gas, I think you have to credit the Toronto Raptors defense, number one, because they're incredible. And those guys played 
uh, humongous minutes throughout the re- throughout the regular season uh, the past few years. Kyle Lowry is always leading the league in minutes. Fred Van Fleet's always leading the league in minutes. Um, and so you have to credit their defense and their intensity, particularly late in games. And then, I don't know, like, you, they didn't have Gordon Hayward, and they weren't able to play the type of lineups that you want to play um, late in ball games. So I, I think it's a variety of factors. I do think Kemba has particularly run out of gas late in games. They've really been leaning on him. I mean, that one play at the end of, I think, game two or game one, I can't remember, where um, – he can't be Jay Crowder off the bounce and Jay Crowder blocks his shot and the shot clock expires. I'm just like, that's exhaustion. And I don't know how you come back from that, but he's looked, he looked pretty good later on in the series. So I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, I, I'm kind of with you Packard a little bit with like, we blow out the heat culture and, and blow it up a little bit. I do think it's a real thing, but it's not like one team is in shape and the other team is like, gassed at the end of games i don't believe that yeah but like game two especially i thought the Celtics looked done like they they were just toast there were plays where they weren't hustling back on defense Mm -hmm. there were plays like they just it was weird it was something you don't normally see out of this celtics team it led to a locker room outburst which i wish i'd been there that would have been awesome (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but I, I I do wonder maybe we're just overreacting to a tiny sample size and maybe Gordon Hayward getting back will help the Celtics a whole lot. It will certainly um, give them another guy to lean on for playmaking. And I do think the Celtics play hard minutes too because they don't have like defensive specialists. They don't have guys who are just out there to defend and then not do much else. For the most part – they're oh, better players. What about Ennis Cantor? Those <laughs> the spread of the second quarter was brilliant. Brilliant defense. Uh the the Dragic stopper, Ennis Cantor. <laughs> but yeah, but like for the most part, the guys who carry a heavy offensive burden for them are also the guys guarding the other team's best players. And that that can be a burden in a series. I wonder if if the time off will help. I I do think the fatigue was real, and I think Brad Stevens kind of admitted it by only playing Kemba 34 minutes in Game Two, far less than he had played through most of the Toronto series, at least when the games were close. It, it's weird to talk about fatigue because you never know, like, if it's actually fatigue or if it's just guys just didn't make the right plays, and we're just really fucking guessing here, but. But I, I mean, I the, the Kemba that. play that the, uh, Tina mentioned was like, if fatigue is the best answer there, because he basically just ran into Jay Crowder and then couldn't jump. Um, but it's interesting. Like, I think it just has a hyped up because of hashtag heat culture. Uh, but are you a heat culture believer now? Me? Yeah. I mean, they're, they are in good shape. I like, they do have the immaculate body fat, but I don't know if like, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Did you see Mike Myers Leonard t-shirts? Like the hardest working team, the grittiest. It's frankly well, obnoxious. Th- those t-shirts were actually made in the mid nineties um, for the Knicks. When Pat Riley was the head coach there, he actually made those t-shirts with the exact same slogan. Like, oh, so it's Knicks culture. So you're trying to say it's Pat Riley culture <laughs> is actually what it is. 100%. Pat, Pat Riley. Riley 
when he's wearing the mask and is pictured in the bubble looks like a supervillain and there's just no other way around it. He just looks like he has like his face is surgically repaired or something. His hair is slicked back. Um, he kind of looks like a demon, but um, <laughs> getting back to like, I'm clearly an obnoxious Celtics fan and the Celtics have played better for the majority of minutes in this game. They like lost games one and game two, giving up those leads, but it feels like, all things being equal, the Celtics can attack guys like Duncan Robinson uh, or Goron and have just have an advantage here other than posting up Jay Crowder on Kemba Walker. What are the adjustments that the Heat make going in other than, you know, just outlasting, out surviving 99 percent will just going in as warriors? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm not smart enough to have an answer like. Watching game three, that game should have been like a 30-point margin for the whole thing, basically. But Tyler Hero just like went nuclear. So I don't know. He went bonkers. He's, I, I think he's he's excellent um, and like does not look like a rookie, does not carry himself as a rookie, uh, is much better defensively than I thought he would ever be. Speaking of someone who never watched a minute of him in college, just because he's white, literally, just exactly, yeah, white, yeah, that's one hundred percent it. Not gonna lie, um, but I, uh, yeah, like I didn't, I, like I don't know what adjustments you make if your zone is not effective, which maybe it will be again. Um, I think the Celtics actually got pretty good shots against it in the first two games on possessions where they didn't cough the ball up. Um, but if the, if the Celtics have actually figured out the zone, um, I mean, do you play – I would maybe take Kelly Olenek's minutes and just catch them and give them to Derek Jones Jr. or maybe Andre Just Wittala. go super small? I would go small maybe because um, the thing about this is, like, if the Celtics are comfortable small, if they're comfortable with Grant Williams playing bigger minutes, uh, if they're more comfortable stretching those uh, – the unit that we all have – been waiting to see with the five best players and they're able to switch everything um like you're gonna need jimmy butler to attack in isolation and be a star and you're gonna need bam out bio to be just the biggest guy on the floor and act like the biggest guy on the floor be it in post-ups or face-up drives or whatever um or on the glass with putbacks, but like I don't know strategically what the moves are. I just think like those players need to play like the all stars that they are. Yeah, and I let's talk about the best five best lineup for a little bit because that's something the Celtics we talked about it all season long, and it just kind of never happened. Like they played twenty one minutes together during the regular season. It was partly because of injuries. Part, but also, even when all those guys were healthy, Stevens rarely went to it. I, I kind of wrote it off after the seeding game when, ironically, Bam Adebayo just destroyed them, obliterated them, mutilated them for like 150 points in a two-minute span. But then there it is, game three, basically a must-win game. Brad breaks it out late in the second half. And it was like steal, 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 steal. How much longer can I keep going? And then dunk, 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 dunk. But how much do you guys trust that moving forward that that lineup is 
not just playable, but dangerous and dangerous against Bam, who really is kind of the should be the antidote to some of that stuff because he's like a 6'10 guard himself. Hey, I'm Taz Mellis of No Dunks on the Athletic. Do you want to walk into a room with your chest puffed out, your neck long, and your shoulders broad? Of course you do. For me, getting clothes that fit properly can give me the confidence I need to do just that. Indochino hooked me up with the gear that fits perfectly. I dreaded getting dressed for my Zoom meetings, but now I change for each one with a big smile on my face. I did a virtual fitting on Indochino's slick website for them to get my measurements. I didn't have to talk to a single human. There are so many options. Here are a few I chose. A long shirt, because I tuck it in. I got a no dunks monogram, and I decided against a shirt pocket. I sincerely did not think that custom fit clothing was this affordable, and all customizations are included in the cost. The website keeps your measurements on file so you never have to re-enter them. The best part, Indochino suits start at just $2.99 with all customizations included. Indochino is a no-brainer if you're getting married. Visit one of the Indochino showrooms across North America. Or book a virtual appointment like I did and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now, you'll get $30 off any purchase of $3.99 or more when you enter code TAS. Not ass, TAS, T-A-S, at checkout. That's Indochino.com, promo code TAS. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medications. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and an ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com Celtics and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to getroman.com Celtics today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash Celtics. GetRoman.com slash Celtics. I personally am a huge believer in this lineup. Like You love the small lineups. Remember the IT and D lineup? Uh, Hell yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) Um, Like, I don't know. I look at this lineup and it's... It's quote unquote small because there's no center, but Jason Tatum's not small. Jalen Brown's not small. Gordon Hayward's not small. Marcus Smart plays like he's 7'7 and 375 pounds. So, like, it's basically just Kemba Walker out there, and he's the guy that you need to attack if you're Miami. And if you go out of your way to attack Kemba Walker, you are like kind of shooting yourself in the foot if you're Miami, because that's just not how they play basketball. It's not how they're built to play basketball. Like Jimmy Butler's really good. 
um, really good play creator as a wing and can get his own buckets against almost any defender, but that's just not how they play. And so if you just look at his like ISO numbers this season, he doesn't isolate. He doesn't shoot when he does isolate. He almost always passes the ball or turns it over or draws a foul. So uh, I, I, I don't think like Miami is built necessarily to attack a switch happy lineup like the Celtics can be when they're small. Um, I do think what you're saying, Jay, about Bam is right on. But Bam, like, he's so excellent in all these really unique ways in a way that's, like, very akin to Draymond Green, where he's, like, a superstar at a lot of important elements of the game, but creating his own shot and giving you 30, that's just, like, not what he's capable of doing. He only has 26 and 17. It's true. But yeah. him, any any shot he takes from like the mid range that isn't a dunk is basically a win for the Celtics. <laughs> like he's just not a like good enough shooter for like if he wants to get his own mid range jump shots or like even just like those flip shots that are a couple like feet away from the basket. Those are still difficult shots for Bam. I think the best five lineup works is because it's not one you have to rely on. It's just something you can do to survive the non Tice minutes. I mean Tice was something like plus twelve in his. Um, 30 minutes in game one, they really have been struggling to find like a backup center, like Grant works occasionally, but you'd really, he's as good of a three point shooter as he is in the playoffs. Like he's not that reliable. It's just another option. So you don't ever have to play Ennis Cantor, although he's been somewhat reasonable uh, in the first two games. It's just like something you can use. It doesn't necessarily need to be like the go-to lineup. Cause I think Tice is still like a valuable player uh, in this sure. series. And I think too, the, the, one part of that that really makes that lineup tough for the Heat specifically is that the Heat often switch one through five, and that's what makes Bam great. That's part of what makes him special. But when you have a lineup with five guys who can all shoot threes really well, then he has to guard the arc at all times. And and then you drag him out to the perimeter, and then there's space for – guys to attack Duncan Robinson and guys to attack Tyler Hero, who's a better defender than Peanut thought just because he's a white boy, <laughs> and space to attack those guys. And and then the Heat don't have, you know, a lot of rim protection behind him. So that, that that's a big deal, too, in this series. And I do think they use Tice in that spacing role a little bit in game three. I don't think the Heat will react to that moving right. forward. They should – have Bam sag off him and still just be a, a rim protector. Like you can't be tight on Tice in the corner. There's no need to be no. because he'll make some, but he won't shoot a lot. He won't shoot a lot. Yeah. Um, no, Tice is super valuable. Uh, I want to give more credit to Grant Williams than Packard was earlier. Um, I love Grant Williams. He does not look like, I was saying Tyler Hero doesn't look like a rookie. Grant Williams doesn't like play or look like a rookie to me at all. Um, Like super smart on both ends. Um, So when I, I mean like it's not the best five lineup, but when they're small with Grant, I have a lot of confidence in this team also to just switch just about any um, screen action on or off the ball. Um, But yeah, like, Tice is important. I, I don't know. Like, wh- how, what do you guys think about like um, 
just like tightening it up to a seven man rotation going for is but like is that even possible or is that going back to like the fatigue issue um and just not an option right now or too early in the series for Brad to go there see I think that's kind of possible um just because the top four guys have been playing including Marcus Smart Kemba Walker Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been playing 38 or more minutes per game throughout the playoffs now you add Gordon Hayward, who can probably play close to that. And so there, there's really not much time left over for a perimeter guy. And you need a solid seven minutes from Brad Wanamaker. I mean, who, where else are you going to get that like, reliable minutes, the solid and sturdy minutes? But, yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense of shortening the rotation. You have the basically top six guys in Wanamaker – I, you also could go to uh, Grant. I don't know. Like Brad always seems to like these wacky three guard lineups, especially when other teams go small. He seems like that's his one of his go to moves. Um, I don't necessarily. I think he'll play the guys more minutes. I think when we saw in Game Three, like you had five minutes of Cantor, five minutes of or six minutes of Wanamaker, and then some more Grant. I'll definitely think Shemi Ojale will not see the court again. Um, but like he shortens the rotation in. The second half definitely like we've ne- like we've not seen second and a half canter minutes and oh my god Celtics Twitter would go insane if we ever saw second half uh, canter minutes, but I don't know I was started thinking like what's the what's the Heat's best five lineup because Duncan Robinson also white cannot play defense and he <laughs> is like I think is he I don't know if he's a liability at this point but if you're going like two way basketball. Is he in the heat? Like Hero has definitely proved himself as someone who can be out there. Uh, Dragic is not. Uh, I always like am very not confident when I'm saying his last name, but he's not a defensive uh, superstar out there. So I don't know. Like if it's the crunch time, we saw in Game Three, Jimmy Butler wasn't on the court because he can't shoot. But obviously, he's in the Heat's best five lineup. So I I'm just trying to figure out what their crunch time lineup is that is going to be like most maximize their abilities. It's a good question. I think, I think, yeah, you start with Adebayo, Jimmy. I think Hero has to be on the floor because he's just such a dynamic scoring option. Who he has huge it. balls. It, he does. And he is, he's super fearless. I mean, that pull up three he hit, uh, I forget when in the game, but like Second in a quarter, crowd. When he was going buck yeah. wild. Yeah, just he's it, it, incredible. Um, like the thing about Duncan Robinson is, I don't think he's. I wouldn't say he's like a bad defender. Like he's not Trey Young or anything like that. He has a lot of use in how they play and their scheme, and he's tough. I mean, sticking his face into uh, Jalen Brown's chest to draw that. Great strategy. Heat culture. Heat culture. (laughs) Stick your face in someone's uh, elbows. Not a lot of people would do that, though. Um, And I don't think he's, like, super slow laterally and he fights and all that. Um, But you will go at him. And Jalen is just obviously, like, more athletic by an exponent of 10 and can – take advantage on the glass in particular in that matchup for situations where Bam switches out and he's on the perimeter and then the wings, Gordon, Jalen, Tatum, whoever um, is able to kind of bum rush the glass. I think that there's an advantage there. Um, But Duncan shooting, like one of the reasons why Andre Iguodala is just not playing in this series is because no one will guard him. One of the, like Kendrick Nunn. They they shoved Cantor on him, which was my favorite 
chess oh, move of the yeah. series so far. You're hiding, yeah, exactly. Um, which is very predictable, very smart. Uh, I think the big question is just like this series might just come down to is Jay Crowder going to be Jay Crowder, the Jay Crowder who he's been for his entire career, or is he going to be the Jay Crowder from the Buck series and from the Pacer series and from everything, every minute that he basically played in a heat jersey after he was traded from the Grizzlies. And the Boston Jay Crowder that one year, 2016-17, he was very good. (laughs) He was okay, yes. He wasn't like 45% from three good. He was 40, 40. I think it was 39.8. Hearing that big five-year, $20 million contract that people are always talking about. Yeah. (laughs) I, I don't know if Crowder is in your lineup at the end of games if his defense is useful um i i don't know i mean i don't think that i think duncan's shooting is just so valuable going back to that point like iguodala isn't playing because he can't shoot if you can't shoot in this series there's like eric Spolster really doesn't have any purpose for you because it's really difficult for them to generate offense against a switch happy defense with how they're built because this isn't the Milwaukee Bucks. Like Brad Stevens is making adjustments. Uh, he's he's tinkering with his lineup, uh, and he's got the length and the athleticism to get away with a lot of things. So I don't know. I think it's a really interesting question. I have I have a question for you guys though, and I think I texted you this Jay um, uh, a couple days ago. But do you guys think at any point uh, Gordon Hayward will be placed back into the starting lineup? Uh, maybe if they make the, I mean, it has to be later in the series. He's, he was gassed after like his first four minutes in the other game. I think they just have, uh, I don't know. Brad will do whatever the hell he wants. I just don't think he necessarily, uh, wants to like change up what the rotation is now or like whatever rhythm they have. And I think this is like my, my answer to this has always been like, if he puts in the starting lineup, that obviously means you take Marcus Smart out, um, do you lose something from like losing the intensity intangibles impacts winning of Marcus smart um, from the start? Or is that like more useful coming off the bench? Um, I don't know. I like Gordon Hayward as a kind of the, the playmaker for when Kemba's on the bench as a guy who can uh, more so facilitate the offense. And so maybe coming off the bench, it's more conducive to get in a rotation where Kemba sits. But um, I think he first has to like, play 35 minutes and not complain after the game that he's super tired or that his ankle hurts. Yeah, I don't think it really matters whether he starts or comes off the bench. I think what really matters the most is that he just gives them enough playmaking at all times. If you look at their offensive rating without Tatum in this series, it's disgusting. It is despicable. It is one of the worst looking number. It's like in the low eighties. Um, I just like the idea of you just like scrolling through NBA stats and coming across a number in the eighties, going, "Ah, yeah, despicable." Yeah, I mean that is as despicable as it gets. <laughs> but I think like just having that extra playmaking, and then ha- having a guy that the Heat can't just treat as a nobody is a big deal. Because the Celtics were giving Shemi Ojale minutes. They even tried Romeo Lankford earlier in this series. That, he made a great I, pass. He made a great pass, man. I said the same thing, Pina. I wanted to give him all that credit for that great pass, and Jay was like, oh, no, he was terrible. Romeo got an assist in under a minute. I mean, that's great stuff. That's better than Taco Falls minutes in this playoffs. 
But that just shows how desperate the Celtics were to find anyone in their rotation. And now they have a dude who was on the all-star team a few years ago and who averaged 17 and a half and is probably the best passer on their team and super efficient. So I think like starting whatever the, the key point is they just have more playmaking now and they have fewer stretches where they have total non-threats on the court, which has been, a big issue for them and becomes a bigger issue. I think against zone defenses, like cause you can really take advantage of a guy who can't do a lot of stuff. If, if you're in his own defense, like Shemi Ojale can fire away. He's become a decent shooter. Shout to him for becoming a decent shooter, but that's it. That's the only offensive help he brings. So Hayward, but I also, I do think you kind of risk, Making Marcus Smart upset if he'll throw a chair at if, you if you according to reports if you put him on the bench. I don't think he would love going to the bench. I don't think he he would let it linger too long. But I also think like he'd be a little pissed off because he played so well in that Toronto series. He's been one of Boston's best players since moving into the starting lineup, and he could be like, "What the fuck, man?" So. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I don't think that they move Marcus uh, to the bench in this series because they need his defense against Dragic. And, yeah, that, that's a good point. And so, like, thank you, Jay. And so, <laughs> and so, uh, it just makes a, a lot of sense matchup wise to keep him keep everything how it is. But I don't want to like get too far ahead, but. Just looking to the finals and a potential matchup with the Lakers, I do think that uh, Gordon has more value potentially in a starting lineup than um, and matching up his minutes as much as possible with LeBron's um, and assuming that they're going to switch a ton in that series as well um, and kind of letting Smart come off the bench and having him clamp down on Rondo, who is suddenly like, you know, 2012 rondo and playoff playing, rondo is just a glorious thing well and needs to be accounted for so i i would consider matching up those two a little bit if they get to the finals but in this series um i kind of agree it's also like yeah gordon's you know his rhythm isn't there he's played one game uh so i, I would assume that they keep everything stagnant yeah i I agree with that. I, I before we move on from playoff Rondo, I, I just wanna, I just wanna salute playoff Rondo who is still doing it in 2020. It's so absurd. Every Lakers fan this whole year was just bashing Rondo, just obliterating Rondo, imploring Vogel to yank him from the lineup. But when, when the mastering a game plan is so important. It helps to have a genius on your team. It helps to have someone who literally knows every single play the opposing team is going to call, knows every single play from every single position that the other team is going to run, and is at this time of year very committed to doing the right things on a basketball court in a way that he isn't always committed to doing anymore. The, cra- I, the craziest thing about Rondo is how he duped uh, 
Miles Plumley into just playing like an idiot on that final play in game two. You know, he just threw that excellent pass, and Miles Plumley just had no idea that Anthony Davis could have You got the wrong Plumley. Kilometers Plumley. I don't care. <laughs> we that was be- that was a bad joke, man. Kilometers Plumley. Jay, you have consistently been making awful jokes for the past three weeks, and you're going to come at me for a throwaway line? That's ridiculous. I was just trying to merely bring up that. More like inches Plumley on that last play. <laughs> Miles and kilometers are more of an apt comparison. Um, inches is a. It's... But that's. He came up short. That's the whole point. <laughs> My jokes are at another level, Packard. I, uh, real quick, like while we're talking about Rondo, it makes me think about um, a presser that LeBron did in the 2018 finals where um, he, uh, where LeBron basically said, I need as many cerebral players around me if I'm going to win the championship. And he was basically like calling, like that roster was just, if you want to go back and look at it, it's a total joke. Um, and the, the they were about to, get get swept or whatever happened in that series. I can't remember. And he's like, I need players like Rajon Rondo. He like called Rondo out by name. And it was a humongous reason why Rondo went to LA uh, a year later. And so the respect that LeBron, who's one of the smartest players who's ever picked up a basketball has for Rondo and Rondo, his ability to now use his intelligence and apply it to himself, uh, his, his actual like physical body, which he has not been able to do for a little while. It's just like it's remarkable to see. And I speak as someone who is like Rondo's my favorite player of all time. I also think that maybe uh, a drug test might be in order before the finals. I'm just gonna Whoa. throw Whoa. Just gonna Whoa. Throw Whoa. Moving, accusations. I love he's it. Moving incredibly well, um, in a way that I don't think we like he's getting to the basket, like blowing by guys off the first step. Guys aren't even closing out hard on him. And he's beating them to the rim. You think uh, he's on Coke? Like what, what's the drug test we're testing for? I'm going to, I'm going to leave it there, but uh, yeah, that's just something I've been thinking about with Rondo and just how unbelievable physically he looks in a way that just, <laughs> I did not see coming. I think we should drug test Pina for Rogaine. Let's <laughs> That doesn't even make sense because he's bald. Like it doesn't exactly. If I if I was using Rogaine, then you wouldn't see the. <laughs> you said three minutes ago that your jokes were on the next <laughs> level, and then you come with that. Yeah, but while we're on Rondo, I gotta keep going about Rondo. Rondo playoff Rondo fascinates me. The uh, playoff Just, I, I think fascinates me. More I think than playoff when, Rondo. when we talk about mismatches in the playoffs, we don't always give enough credit to the fact that you have to be really smart and you have to be really committed to a game plan to take advantage of those mismatches. And if you see Rondo, he's always the one throwing the lob pass to Anthony Davis when he's in a good position. He's always the one orchestrating things so that somebody else can be in a better situation. And so, like, the the comment Peter brought up about LeBron, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it matters more than ever in the playoffs when coaches are dialed in to setting up their best players with in the best situations against whatever mismatch possible. But you have to be really keyed in to get to those mismatches. And it relates to the Celtics Heat series, too, because, like, 
you can you can know you have to pick on Duncan Robinson, but unless you're willing to to run the offense and unless everybody's willing to do it in a way that sets up Jalen Brown to attack Duncan Robinson, then it just doesn't work. And so who do you think has the highest IQ on the Celtics? And if you say Gordon Hayward, you're racist. <laughs> uh like easily Marcus Smart to me, which is kind of a wild statement. But why is that a wild statement? Well, because just, he uh, also takes some of the dumbest yeah. shots ever and makes, makes some questionable decisions with the ball. Um, but it's like a constant battle between his own confidence and his brain. But he's just easily the smart, especially defensively. Like you learn things when you watch him play defense, especially in transition. Like he'll point out coverages and who needs to like, there's no buddy ball. It's just like, he's, he's brilliant. Um, so yeah, he's kind of easily the smartest dude on the team to me. Well, one thing I've noticed watching him play over the years, he points more than anyone in the world. Yes. Like, he is literally always pointing his teammates where to go. Just, just watch him during a game. It is remarkable how often he points. He is the, the greatest pointer of, <laughs> of a generation, I would argue. That's the point I was trying to make, but you just the said The point it. you were trying to make. Ha, ha, ha. You're literally, he's making puns, and now you're just calling them out. Come on, Jay. This is this is nonsense. Uh, all right, but P- Pina, before we let you go, we got to talk about interviewing Bill Walton because interviewing Bill Walton about Nikola Jokic was fantastic. That, that was a great story. He, uh, How did you decide, like, I'm basically only going to ask Bill Walton about Nikola Jokic? I mean, uh, so – I think it was who was a Jeff Van Gundy or Mark Jackson on that broadcast during game seven of the semifinals against the Clippers where they were just like, Jokic is the best passing big man. And then uh, one of them was like, no, it's Bill Walton still. And I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, shout out to Bill Walton. Great all time, great passing big man. And then I I have his email address for some reason. I I don't know why. And so I was just like, oh, I wonder if he would be willing to talk about Jokic. So I emailed him like completely out of the blue. And then uh, a couple of weeks, I mean, however many days go by since that game, uh, I was making dinner last night and I get a call from an area code from San Diego. I was like, I have no idea who this is. Picked it. I usually don't pick up the phone calls when I don't know who it is. I picked it up, and he's just like, Michael, Bill Walton. I was like, like, damn. He's like, so I was like, I I, I was like speechless for a second. I knew it was actually him because it's his voice. Like, everybody knows Bill Walton's voice. Grew up watching him call games on NBC. Like, he's the voice of basketball to me. So I was just like stunned for a minute, and then I was like, "Um, yeah, so – Jokic, and he's just like, he gets, starts ranting, and he doesn't even let you <laughs> ask questions, and uh, trying to get questions in with him was uh, such a chore, but also, like, I didn't care, because you just let that man cook, and he just says the most, like, his his relationship to language is unparalleled, uh, so that's basically how it went down, and... I could have talked to him for like another two hours. If you How long did it take to transcribe that interview? And second question, what were the, cause he is a verbose man. Were there things that just didn't fit into your story, but were just great Bill Walton quotes that you can uh, give us some behind the scenes right now. 
um, you know, it's funny, like someone else said that to me about uh, transcribing it. And actually like the, one of the hardest transcriptions I've ever done is like Jared Dudley. Um, I don't know if you've ever interviewed him, but he just like, his brain is going a mile a minute and he speaks in tangents. So like he'll be in the middle of a sentence and then I'll start another sentence and then I'll go back to the other sentence. And you're like, I don't know how to transcribe this to have it be legible. But with Bill Walton, like I transcribed it and I was like, oh, this like looks pretty clean. This like, is a novel. <laughs> this he is repeated beautiful. himself a couple times, but beyond that, um, I, we really didn't, my, my editor really didn't have any problem with it. We basically went with the whole interview almost. There were a couple questions in there. Um, one where I actually, the, the, there's a question where I'm like, I was pref- I prefaced it by saying, I don't know how to articulate this, but, and then he cut me off and just went on. <laughs> yeah, that was my favorite part of the whole thing. <laughs> so we ended up like cutting what I actually asked him, which was like something about relating to um, uh, being a big man and uh, what he could relate, how he could relate to Jokic better than like, I could watching on television and what he saw that no one else could see. And his response is basically like, uh, that's a dumb question. <laughs> it was just like, he basically started to make fun of me for a minute. So we cut that, but um, yeah. no, he's, it was like, it was tremendous. Um, and uh, yeah, like I, again, I could talk basketball with Bill Walton for like the rest of time. That's the greatest, just, just cooking dinner and, Bill, Bill, Walton, <laughs> Bill Walton calls from a random number. What were you cooking? Uh, I have the same dinner basically every night. Um, I don't cook every night. I, I, I heat up my leftovers, but I like to make a rice bowl with steak or chicken. But yesterday was steak, so I ended up burning the steak because um, I didn't turn off the burner because I was so in shock and I had to go run get my recorder. Um, you eat a rice bowl every night? Every yeah, same dinner every night. Basically the same lunch too. What kind of what's what lunch? This is you lunacy. Throw, you, throw, you throw some homemade guacamole in there, some jalapenos, um beans, corn, delicious. You only eat rice bowls? Yep. Basically. What kind that's of all I, I shouldn't say that's all I eat. But it's delicious. Sometime I'll make it for you, Jay. I don't want your fucking rice bowls. <laughs> Jay, what do you eat? Good food, baby. Tuna fish? <laughs> That's good food. Tuna, good tuna food. You're, you look like a tuna fish right out of the can type of guy. Am I right? No, no. That's that's savagery. No, you got you to gotta put that put that puppy on a on a white bread and put some put some crushed up potato chips on there some hellman's some hellman's <laughs> joint, up, you know? a lot of hellman's joints you got you gotta really really dress up your tuna you can't you can't just be eating that shit straight out the can but how high was bill walton would you would you get thinking of drug testing yeah i'm not gonna answer that question <laughs> you hear, you hear, you hear any bong ripping in the background not from him. No. Not from him. <laughs> no wonder you no wonder you burned the steak. Peter was ripping bongs. Yeah. All right, Jay, you've uh you've taken over the uh, the end of the podcast here, so I'm gonna let you do the outro. I don't do the outro, man. Well, we the podcast's over then. Anything is potable.
Come listen to us every day. Please. Thank you. Subscribe to us. Five-star rating. Follow Pina on Twitter, at Michael V. Pina. He has dog shit tweets. But he did write a good article uh, starring Bill Walton for GQ, and he's been writing a lot of good articles for GQ. Thank you guys for listening. Jay's an awful host, and thank you for listening to this episode of Anything is Potable!